Good morning, my NMH family. It is, again, a joy to be with you and a privilege to be used by the Lord to share what he has laid on my heart to, to, to um, minister to you today. And as Sister Tish, Tashina prayed, this is a word that should stir us to action. And so I pray that as I share, you will listen intently and purposefully with a, with, with a mind to obey as led by the Holy Spirit or do as led by the Holy Spirit. So the title of my message to you this morning is Partnered for Fulfillment of Divine Purpose. I'll say it again, Partnered for Fulfillment of Divine Purpose. And this message came about recently as I was, I was, I was um, parked somewhere and just observing nature, looking at the birds, looking at the trees. And the Lord started speaking to me. And what struck me was the interdependent relationship in nature. And the birds are dependent on animals as a source of food. For example, we know that birds will eat insects off the, the, the backs of, for example, cows and so on. Um, using that example, cows are dependent on the birds. The birds are dependent on trees for rest or for shelter. The trees are dependent on the cows to provide manure. The soil is dependent on the worms and the insects to aerate and fertilize the soil. The insects are likewise dependent on the soil. Bees are dependent on flowers to get nectar to make honey. Flowers are dependent on bees for pollination so that they can, they can propagate. And if we take time to observe, we will see the marvel of creation, God's creation, and how he in his wisdom created creatures to be interdependent. And symbiosis is necessary in nature. And as I was observing and thinking about the different um, types of relationship in, in nature, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me, the Lord started speaking to me through his Holy Spirit concerning the body of Christ and the nature of the relationship that exists in the church. And one of the challenges in the church is that we fail to operate as interdependent and we're often consumed with individual pursuits or by individual pursuits. We're consumed <clears throat> with taking all, but giving some or giving little. And that we do at the expense of the body of the church. And I believe that the Lord wants to address that specific to NLH this morning. And even if you're not a member of NLH, you're connected to NLH in some way, or you may be connected to another church, but I want you to be open to receiving this word and see how it applies to you, even your own church body. And what do I mean? when I speak about the, the, the relationship we have in the church. In the church, we're individuals coming together under the umbrella of a church. In our case, we're individuals coming together under the umbrella of New Life Horizon Church for the ultimate goal of fulfilling the mission and the vision of the church. And our mission statement reads to create opportunities for individuals to know God experientially be positioned to serve in authentic 
loving relationships, to fulfill purpose and to maximize redemptive potential according to God's plan and promise. And we know that NLH has created opportunities for individuals, for all of us to experientially know God. We've had training sessions, teaching sessions. We've had retreats, Bible study, prayer meetings, preachings and teachings. So the opportunities are there. And all of these are designed to teach and guide us in how to cultivate a deeper relationship with God develop greater intimacy with God and come to experientially know him for ourselves. The teachings and focus of NLH constantly challenge us to work on our character. And we, see, we saw that recently in the series that was done on the fruit of the spirit. And if we're intentional and determined to action what we're being taught, then we should have begun or some ways along the process of transformation that will shape us to look more like Christ. And as we look more like Christ, we should be bearing the fruit of the spirit as was recently taught from Galatians 5.23, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we also know that humility is evidence of the fruit of the spirit. But having been and continually being taught how to know God experientially, how do we serve? Remember the mission to know God experientially and be positioned to serve in authentic, loving relationships. How do we serve? We're going to look at a scripture today that will underpin what it is that I'm going to share with you today. And my brothers and sisters, this message today is not a feel-good message. Truthfully, I wish it was because, it, it, you know, it's a special day and we, we feel, we, you know, we're celebrating and so on. But I, I have to share as the Holy Spirit has led me to share. And I intentionally did not discuss this message with Pastor. So this is new for her. So it's, it's not coming out of any conversation Pastor and I have had. And as we're being challenged and equipped to do, what we are being called to do or have been called to do. The question I want to ask is how do we coexist? Are we truly partnered for the fulfillment of divine purpose? And I believe that is what the Lord wants me to deal with today in this message. We need to assess how we see ourselves and others in the body of NLH. And we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 12 to 31. And we're reading the message version. Um, I would love, it's, it's, a, it's a little lengthy. So I would love if three persons could volunteer to help me with the reading. One person takes the first slide and so on. Um, if you could start, please. I'll go. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13. You can, yeah, but the first slide you said. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you are still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. 
By means of his one spirit, we are said, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to be to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaim in word and action when we were baptized. Okay, I would like to read. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Verses 14 to 18. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It is all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I am not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. What that make it so? Continue. Uh, continue, sister, please. If ear said, I am not beautiful like I, I have to gesticulate. If, if ear said, I am not beautiful like I, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to move it from body? If the body was all I, all I, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body where he wanted it. Verse 19 to 10, 24. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand would be a body, but a monster. Amen. Sister Laverne, go ahead, thanks. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine I telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body, you you are concerned with, it makes no difference. 
whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor, just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? You want me to continue? Yes, please. Okay, the way God designed, oh, 25 to 26. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. So having read that scripture, I want to address how we see ourselves as the, as the body of Christ. And I want to do this by drawing an analogy with symbiosis in nature. And symbiosis is defined as a close relationship between two species in which at least one species benefits. For the other species, the relationship may be positive, negative, or neutral. And there are three types of symbiosis that exist in nature that I want to mention. There is commensalism, and that is a symbiotic relationship in which one species benefits while the other species is not affected. And an example is mites. Mites jump or fly. They, sorry, they cannot jump or fly. These are, these are um, creatures that cannot jump or fly. So to move, from place to place, they attach themselves to larger flying insects. And so they essentially get a free ride. So they're benefiting from that relationship, but the insects on which they travel do not benefit. The next type of symbiotic relationship is parasitism. And parasitism is a symbiotic relationship in which one species, the parasite, benefits while the other species, the host, is harmed. Example, ticks on a cow. We know that the ticks on will, will attach itself to the cow and they can suck the blood of the cow and they can cause disease, even reduce milk production. I just found that out while, while preparing for this. And sometimes can even cause death. So that's a parasitic, symbiotic relationship. And then there's mutualism. And mutualism is a symbiotic relationship in which both species benefit. And mutualism is where I wanna spend some time today. And yes, we as a church, as NLH, were naturally in a symbiotic relationship. But what is your individual role in that relationship? What is the nature of your symbiotic relationship with your NLH family? 
And we may all want to believe that our relationship is a mutualistic relationship where we both benefit. You benefit and NLH as the body benefits. But is that really the truth? Let's revisit the mission, part of the mission statement to create opportunities for individuals to know God experientially, be positioned to serve in authentic, loving relationships. And I'm gonna pause there. I said it earlier that we should agree that we have been given the opportunities to create, sorry, we, opportunities have been created for us to know God experientially, that's, that's established. But the question I want to ask us then is, are we serving in authentic, loving relationships? And Pastor, I'm sure will correct me if I'm wrong, but those authentic loving relationships ought not to be limited to within NLH. But wouldn't you agree that your church family would be the place to start in those loving authentic relationships? In the body where we have been planted in this season, isn't that the place to start having these loving authentic relationships? But do we really serve each other in loving authentic relationships. To serve each other requires that we first recognize, requires that you first recognize that you are part of the universal body of Christ. And I'm pretty, pretty sure we all do. To serve means that we must then recognize that we're strategically positioned by God in this body of NLH to serve in this ministry as a subset of the universal body of Christ. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, and cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's, this is from the scriptures. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. Scripture we, we read earlier. To serve, means that we must then recognize that we have been uniquely gifted and talented to play a specific role in the body of NLH. To serve means that we must also recognize that we need to utilize those gifts and talents for the benefit of the body of NLH. To serve means to recognize that those gifts and talents are no less or are of no less or greater importance than the gifts and talents of somebody else within the body of NLH. The scripture, extracts from the scripture, what we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and its in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you? or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. To continue, to serve means that we must recognize that the body of NLH cannot and will not function optimally unless we individually do our part to the absolute best of our ability. Another extract from the scripture, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. 
every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention are the parts, the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body, that's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body, does your part mean anything. It is when we recognize and act as if we are a part of one body, each with a different role, then our relationship with NLH will be a mutualistic relationship. And we're gonna now watch a clip of an extract from a video on YouTube titled Exploring the Coral Reef. And the video was produced by Free School. And as you watch this, I want you to attempt to answer this question. Is your relationship with NLH a mutualistic relationship? Coral reefs are only found in shallow tropical seas. They may look like colorful rocks or even plants, but coral is really an animal. Coral is built by polyps. Polyps are very small creatures that are related to jellyfish. Coral grows slowly, only a few centimeters a year. It can take hundreds of years to form large pieces like this. Of course, not all coral is hard. Some types are soft. They may look like fans, bushes, or feathers, but once again, it is really a colony of tiny animals living together. When many corals grow close together, it's called a reef. Reefs provide very important habitat for fish and other sea creatures. Coral provides shelter for little fish, a place to hide. The reef also provides a place for algae and sponges to grow. This provides food for a variety of creatures. For example, the sea turtle. These turtles rely on the food that grows on the coral reef. And the reef, in turn, relies on the turtles. It's a partnership that benefits both creatures. The turtles get a reliable source of food. The reef system gets a less obvious advantage. Without the turtles coming to eat the algae and sponges, they would overgrow the reef, preventing the coral from growing and expanding. Turtles and coral aren't the only partners you can find on the reef. Sea anemones are another animal that seems more like a plant. A relative of both coral polyps and jellyfish, anemones have their own partner to help make life easier, clownfish. Although it may not look like it, anemones are predators. They have stinging cells in their tentacles that allows them to paralyze their prey, usually small fish or shrimp, and then move them towards their mouth, 
clownfish escape the anemone's sting by covering themselves in a protective layer of mucus. By hiding inside the anemone, clownfish are protected from predators that don't want to be hurt by the anemone. But what does the anemone get out of this, you may ask? Well, the little clownfish can chase away butterfly fish that would eat the anemone, and they can also clean the anemone of parasites and bits of food that the anemone has no way of cleaning itself. There's one more unusual pairing we're going to talk about today. Can you guess what parrotfish and beaches have to do with each other? Parrotfish are a distinctive family of fish species with a tough, bony beak so strong that they can bite through rock and coral. They do this so that they can eat the coral polyps and algae inside. The coral is ground up and all of the edible parts are digested until only the limestone remains. Then the parrotfish has to get rid of all the crushed limestone. And there's only one way to do that. The parrotfish will excrete, or poop out, the limestone, which has been crushed into a fine sand. In this way, a single parrotfish can produce 200 pounds, or 90 kilos, of sand every year. You heard that right. The next time you bury your toes in soft white sand at the beach, just remember, you're making castles with fish poop. Thank you, Sister Tashina. So we see from this video that corals and the sea creatures that live among the corals have a symbiotic, mutualistic relationship. The turtle feeds on the algae that grows on the coral, and the coral benefits from the turtle eating its algae so it does not stifle. The clownfish depends on the anemone to hide them from predators, while the anemone depends on the clownfish to chase away predators that would eat the anemone, as well as the clownfish will clean the anemone of parasites that it cannot clean itself. Then there's a parrotfish that eats rocks and corals, and the byproduct is the fine sand that is used to make up beaches. And there are many more examples of symbiotic, mutual, mutualistic uh, relationships in nature. But I want us to look at these few this morning. So you may be asking, what do corals and sea creatures have to do with me? Each of the creatures that we saw in that clip represents one of us. We each have a unique role to play if we are to be effectively partnered to fulfill divine purpose. Maybe you're the algae, or maybe you're the turtle. The problem arises when the algae feels like you think your role is insignificant because you're not prominent. You see the sea turtle and the turtle is visible. The turtle is more graceful and all the turtle does is show off itself. It's so big and pronounced, you can't miss it. And so, because you don't see yourself, because you are the algae and you don't see yourself as a turtle, but you want to be the turtle. You are the algae, but you decide that, listen, I am not a turtle, 
So I'm not going to play my role as the algae. So I'm not going to grow. Remember, the algae grows to feed the turtle. But you decide that I'm going to refuse to grow. You decide that you're tired of just being algae. And so you abandon your job or you don't do it to the best of your ability. Or you may be the anemone. Remember the role of the anemone. It serves as a safe haven for the clownfish. So the clownfish is not eaten by predators. And by attracting the clownfish, the clownfish then will ward off other predators that would want to eat the anemone. But think what would happen if the anemone decided, I don't want to be a safe haven for any clownfish. So, so it decides that it will not accommodate the clownfish. And so the clownfish must find somewhere else to go and hide. What's the result of that? Predators that the clownfish would have warded off now have free access to eat the anemone. Or let's take it a little further. What if the parrotfish decided that I don't want to be a bottom feeder? I'm too pretty to be hidden at the bottom, pecking at these rocks and corals. I want to be at the surface. I want to be at the top of the ocean, the ocean surface. I want to be, uh, if, uh, for, those of, for those of you who are in my age group, flipper, flipper, faster than lightning. I hope I didn't date myself. We want to be flipper. We want to be a dolphin. We want to be seen. So you decide that, no, 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 I'm not accepting my role as a parrotfish because I don't like being at the bottom. I don't like being under. And what is the result of that? There's no parrotfish to produce the beautiful white sand that we so enjoy and attract persons to the beaches. It may sound like a stretch, but isn't that what we do in the church? Remember, while being given opportunities to experientially know God, we're also to be positioned to serve in authentic, <coughs> loving relationships. But when we decide to diminish or inflate the value of what God has called us to do, we cannot serve in authentic, loving relationships. I believe the Lord is saying that there's too much competition among us. Refusing to accept our role as the algae, thinking that we should be the turtle. There is too much jealousy among us, not accepting that our giftings are different, but all must be used for God's glory. There's too much apathy among us, a lack of interest or enthusiasm to use our gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ. There's too much selfishness among us, doing what we individually want to do in pursuit of our own ambitions and God's work becomes secondary. What NLH needs to accomplish is secondary because I'm chasing after my own dreams and pursuits. We do when we feel like doing, we do grudgingly. And if pastor asks us to do something, we see it as a favor and we're not working as unto the Lord. We think we're doing her a favor. We do out of obligation and not out of love for Christ. And that's the harsh, harsh truth that is confronting us today. And notice what when I speak, I say we, because I'm not excluded from it. And I believe the Lord wants me to focus 
on this, not just because it's a deficiency in the body, no, but because if we do not change, it will be a hindrance to where he's taking NLH. NLH is in a transitionary phase. And Pastor addressed it a few months ago in the message about turning the corner. We're turning a corner. And part of that transition means that in short order, we're going to go into a home church model, which we know is how NLH started. Our success in partnering for the fulfillment of divine purpose will be dependent on the nature of your symbiotic relationship with your NLH family. <clears throat> Can your relationship be described as commensalism, where you benefit, but NLH gets nothing from that relationship? Can it be described as parasitism, where you pull to the detriment of your brothers and sisters? Or will it be mutualistic, where both you and your NLH family benefit from your partnership? And I want us to consider that as we transition to a hybrid face-to-face -face and virtual assembly, there are a couple of things that we need to look at. There are several persons who now are in the same environs as a physical location will be. What will be your role in ensuring the success of this transition? Will you be saying, well, it's past the community, make sure you go out and find people. She can walk the neighborhood, she can talk to her neighbors and find people. Yes, we know that some persons are gifted as evangelists, but we have been taught here at NLH and we know full well by now that even if you do not have the gift of evangelists, of being an evangelist, we're all called to evangelize. And so what about asking the Lord, therefore, to give you the boldness to start telling people about NLH and inviting them to join? What about offering to pick up somebody and take them to church with you as you go to church? Or will your attitude be, well, I can't join by Zoom. I can't but I wake up early to get dressed, to drive, to go anywhere. And so you, 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 you've gotten used to Zoom and you say, well, I, I will stick with Zoom. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see the importance of the assembly of the early church. They met together daily, shared willingly their material possessions with those in need, and they broke bread in their homes. They were committed to fellowship, teaching, eating, and prayer. And verse 46 to 47 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's nothing wrong with the current model of church that we do. And the pastor has said it, and I firmly believe that God has been using NLH, current NLH's current model to demonstrate a new way of doing church. And so that's a good thing. As the transition comes, we will create a hybrid in person as well as Zoom, and that will be exciting. 
And so as the Lord navigates us around this corner, it will mean as we navigate, as we're in this vehicle going around the corner, that we all need to be on board to accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish. We can't say, yes, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I want to be a part of it. But we're standing on the side of the road watching from a distance, wanting to continue in the old dispensation. Set your alarm, get up and get ready and go to church. There is benefit in the assembly and the NLH family will benefit from your physical presence. And that that I just said may be specific to those persons who are in Florida. But there are others of us and other persons who are not in Florida who maybe we need to consider opening up our homes to be a satellite location to host church. Are, are you willing to consider that? Or will you quickly dismiss it and say, well, it's convenient, I can't do this, I can't do that. So, 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 so what that means is you're willing to come and partake, but you're not willing to offer. So instead of being a mutualistic relationship, your relationship with NLH is either a relationship that can be described as commensalism or parasitism, which is it. What if the Lord requires of you that you commit to taking a dish. If you're going to church, take a dish on Sunday so those who are there can enjoy a meal together. Are you prepared to do that? What if it's another task, a task that you may consider be, uh, to be equivalent to, to being the algae or the parrotfish? If that is the case, that task is no less important than the task of the person who will have greater visibility. Will your purpose, will, sorry, will you individually purpose that no matter what it is, you will be the absolute best that you can be. You will do the absolute best that you can do within the body of NMH. We cannot allow things to get in the way of the Lord using us as partners to fulfill divine purpose. And sometimes we allow competition to stand in the way of being effective ser servants. And, and I struggled with this part of the message because I did not want to write it, but it kept coming over and over. So I, I know I have to be obedient. There are some of you who are thinking, so why Karen I speak so often? Are you gifted to teach the word? Why, 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 why every week Tashina have to do praise and worship? Why Tashina have to sing? Are you gifted in the ministry of praise and worship? Those are the, the, the tough questions I, I'm, I'm forced to ask this morning. It's not about visibility. It's not about recognition. It's not about self-exaltation. It's about utilizing our giftings for the benefit of the body and to honor and glorify God. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. 
And I, I tried to sidestep this part of, of, of the message as well. But the Holy Spirit told me as I was preparing this message that there are those among us, there are some among us who rejected the teaching on humility because of the messenger. And the Lord is saying this morning, and I wrote it down as I got it. The Lord said, you did not reject the messenger, you rejected me. And so I encourage you to speak to the Lord about that. And that even as you listen, you'll be open to what he's saying to you even now. We cannot allow competition to derail us from achieving divine purpose as a body. So what other roles can you play in the NMH family? What about praying? Are you committed to praying for your NLH family? How do you pray? Lord bless them in Jesus' name, amen. Is it, is it one of those token prayers? Or do you pray intentionally for God's will and purpose to be done in the lives of your brothers and sisters? Do you pray for dormant gifts and talents to come to life for the benefit of the kingdom of God to be used in the body of NLH? Pastor has a saying that I have grown to adopt. And she says, God has provided everything we need for where we are now. And so if we don't have it, we don't need it now, or we may never need it. But we may have it, and it is dormant. Pray that those who are already a part of this family that are dormant will rise up and operate in their God-assigned roles. Maybe there are some more turtles that need to take their place. Maybe there are some more clownfish that need to step up. Maybe there are some more teachers and preachers among us. Maybe there are some more praise and worship ministers among us. Maybe there are some technical experts among us that can, can handle our social media and online presence. We need to pray intentionally about the things that need to be accomplished in MLH in accordance with God's will and purpose. Pray, let us pray for each other. And what, how, how do you pray concerning our pastor? Do you pray that God gives wisdom, discernment, and direction as she leads this ministry? Do you pray for God to raise up persons to stand with her, to provide godly counsel, to share ideas and strategies concerning NLH? Remember in Exodus 18, verses 18 to sorry, 13 to 27, when Moses was overwhelmed by the responsibility of judging disputes among the people, what happened? Jethro advised him to appoint persons to handle some of the cases. And this is the burden of, Mo of Moses and demonstrated the effectiveness of wise counsel. Are you praying for pastor in that way? Are you willing to offer support where it is needed? Even though maybe like the turtle or the clownfish, it may not be visible. We see a great example of this in Exodus 17 from verse 8 to 13, where Joshua went to fight the Amalekites at Rephidim. The scripture says, Moses, Aaron, and Or went up to the mountain. And as long as Moses' hands were raised, the Israelites were winning. But when they were down, the Amalekites were winning. So when Moses got tired, 
Aaron and Hur Ur decided to hold up his hands, one on the left, one on the right. And as long as his hands were up, they were winning. And his hands remained steady until sunset, the scripture said. Well, how does that scripture end? In verse 13, it says, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Hear what it says. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. It didn't say, so Joshua and the soldiers. It didn't say, so Joshua, Moses. It didn't say, so Joshua, Moses, Aaron. It didn't say, so Joshua, Moses, Aaron, and Ur. It said, Joshua overcame the Amalekites. What's the point I'm making? Notice who was publicly credited with the victory was Joshua. But who was on the mountaintop? It was Moses who was supported by Aaron and Ur. Are you willing to be that person to say, Pastor, what can I do to ensure that we are victorious? How can I hold up your hands? Have you ever asked her that? We need to be humble and offer support to our pastor without the need to be recognized. That is the moral of that, that point I just made. Or what about our brothers and sisters? Do we take the time to find out how persons are doing? That is part of authentic, loving relationships. That is part of partnering to fulfill divine purpose. Do you spend time inquiring how people are or are you insular? You have a clique and so you don't, you're not particularly concerned about anybody else. Somebody may be tasked with being the coral to regenerate and produce for the benefit of the body. There may be somebody among us, that is their role to be the coral. The coral is made up of the polyps and they're constantly regenerating and producing. But have you ever stopped to consider, is that person who plays the role of the coral, is that person okay? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Are you intentional about checking in on your brothers and sisters? And I will share a, 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 a short um, story of something that happened. There was someone who ministered at a church and there was another person who was not part of the congregation but was involved in, in activities at the church that heard the message. And that person, a few days after the message was shared, decided that they just had too much. And that person took two poison pills with the intention of committing suicide, swallowed the pills. And after the pills were swallowed, the person remembered the message that was preached. And having remembered the message that was preached, decided that no, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. I can't take my life. And the person took, started eating raw eggs with the intention of vomiting and the person vomited the poison out of their stomach. 
And this person was a member of a congregation. Consider what would happen if somebody you are connected to is in that position and you don't even know, you didn't, you didn't even know because you didn't check in. People may be suffering silently and I'm not casting blame on anyone in that specific congregation, but it's a general question I'm throwing out. Do we stop to care for each other? It's important that we care for each other and we demonstrate that we care for each other and we love each other. Let us watch over each other and be alert to what is happening. Remember the role of the anemone. The anemone is to role, um, anemone's role is to provide a safe haven for the clownfish. Maybe that is your role. Maybe your role is to be that safe haven for somebody to provide that safe place for somebody who is tired, somebody who is weak, somebody who is vulnerable. Not, not to talk about their struggle, not to talk behind their backs, not to gossip about them, but to ward off the enemy who is a predator that wants to come and eat, pick at them. If we execute our roles effectively, then we become stronger as a body. Nehemiah 4, is a scripture that speaks about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And we should all be familiar with the story of Sanballat and Tobiah. They were opposed to the rebuilding of the wall. And to summarize, Nehemiah dispatched men to watch around the wall of Jerusalem that was being rebuilt. And verse 19 to 20 says, then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, or God will fight for us. What's the lesson here for us? Though each man was assigned a post along the wall, and he was doing his part, Nehemiah appealed to them, listen for the cry for help. Let us pray for discernment and sensitivity to the needs of each other and be ready to respond. And also, if you are that young man that I spoke about and you are assigned to a task, but you feel weak and you feel like you just can't make it, sound the trumpet. Hear what Nehemiah said? Sound the trumpet. And when the trumpet is heard, the response will come. So if that is you this morning, sound the trumpet and we will respond. Help is available. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And being weak and tired is, is nothing to be ashamed of. But if we serve and love each other in, in this authentic relationship that the mission statement talks about, we can be there to support and back each other as needed. And this is not a typical message, but the Lord has given us an opportunity this morning to right side. We may be a little toppled, we may be a little wobbly, but we have an opportunity to right side, to get ourselves in alignment, to reassess our roles in the body 
of NLH and correct where correction is needed. To serve in authentic loving relationships require that we do not, sorry, requires that we do what we have been taught. Consistently, perpetually bear fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, sorry, self-control. And the refer another reference scripture for this is Colossians 3, 12 to 13, that addresses the fruit of the, the spirit. So we need to bear the fruit. When we actively live this, when we actively serve each other, lovingly and authentically, then our relationship with the NLH body will be symbiotic mutualism. That is what we should strive for. It is then we create a fertile environment for the fulfillment of divine purpose. One has to follow the other. And how does the NLH mission statement end? To fulfill purpose and to maximize redemptive potential according to God's plan and promise. And so let me read the whole thing. NLH seeks to create opportunities for individuals to know God experientially, be positioned to serve in authentic, loving relationships, to fulfill purpose and to maximize redemptive potential according to God's plan and promise. The key to being effectively partnered for the fulfillment of purpose and to maximize redemptive potential according to God's plan and promise is for each of us to do our task while forbearing, sorry, foregoing personal prominence. We each need to do what we're called to do while foregoing personal prominence. This is necessary to benefit the body at large. This means that each of us has to perform or contribute to the best of our ability. What matters at the end is not our individual performances, but the collective performance of NLH. Romans 12, one to five says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That will determine how successful we are as a body in partnering for the fulfillment of divine purpose that the Lord has for any age. Genesis 11 is an example of the power of unity. When the Tower of Babel was being built, their motive was to build to reach the heavens to make a name for themselves. And even in their wrong motives, God spoke about the power of unity. In verse five to six, the Lord says, it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, 
then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. And it continues. There is power in unity. And as I close, I want us to remember these nuggets from the message. To effectively partner for the fulfillment of divine purpose, we must first recognize that we're strategically positioned by God in this body of NLH to serve in this ministry as a subset of the universal body of Christ. We must recognize that we have been uniquely gifted and talented to play a specific role in the body of NLH. We must then utilize those gifts and talents for the benefit of the body of NLH. We must recognize that those gifts and talents are no less important or more important than those of another person in the body of NLH. We must recognize that the body of NLH cannot and will not function optimally unless we do our part to the absolute best of our ability as enabled by the Holy Spirit. And this that I'm about to share is a word that the Lord gave me specifically concerning the transition to face-to-face -to -face gatherings. And I wrote it down verbatim. The Lord says to us, reverence my sanctuary. It is not a social club. There should be no cliques. Do not ostracize those I send to you. You must be loving and inclusive. There must be no isolation. Nobody should have special seats where you say, this is where I always sit and telling somebody that they need to move. That's what the Lord gave me to share with you today. Let us take from it, and I say us, let us take from it what the Holy Spirit reveals concerning us individually. And I want to close with a scripture from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and it reads, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead of speaking, Sorry, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen.